Welcome back, everybody. It's a beautiful day here in Cherokee County. And we're stuck inside. And we are stuck inside, at least for the time being. But you, listening to this, you could be out by the pool. You could be on the boat. You Mm -hmm. could be at the beach. Or sadly, perhaps at work. You could be at work. Sorry. Uh, uh, Yeah, we're sorry about that. (laughs) But if you're at the beach, cheers. Yeah, tell your neighbors about us. Yeah. Yes. Just turn it up. There you go. Take a big Bluetooth speaker and just blast it so everybody on the beach has to hear it. I'm not sure that's a good way for us to pick up listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're at the pool, you could do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, please do that. The person trying to read next to you. Shut them down. (laughs) (laughs) Shut them down. Readings for nerds. Podcasts are for the cool people, right? I hope so. Yeah. My name is Kelly Turner. And I'm not a doctor. My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. And we have a shout out. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Claudia Graves. Hey, I saw her Claudia. last Sunday at Jake's on the Lake. Oh, okay. And, um, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. They could uh, be. They could be. Could they be? They yeah. Could be. Yeah. We could just feature their Sunday menu lineup since Easy Street is closed on Sunday. We couldn't mention yeah. their Saturday night entertainment. That wouldn't be right. I think we all we all play well together. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we do. Anyway, Claudia and I were talking about, I forget which case it was. Um, I completely forgot which case we were talking about, but she wanted us to do the case. Oh, it was the one where well, the, the guy pushes his wife down the stairs. Oh. She wants us to do that case. She is a uh, She has followed that case and is familiar with it. And I told her that I would tell Kelly that that is going to be on the list maybe at some point in the future and we'll get Claudia on, perhaps before she moves off to, I think, Coleman, Alabama, yeah, to later begin. this summer to begin her first ever teaching job. Yeah, just given all Claudia's business out here. <clears throat> Oops, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I didn't give her a dress. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> I don't um, know it. Yeah, I know. That's why you didn't give it. That's, <laughs> that's, see, Claudia, that the, the, you have to say off the record, Claudia. Sorry. Uh, no, but yeah, we would love to have Claudia on and we would love to definitely that case is on the list. So, okay, well so then, for sure. Claudia, if you're listening, uh, clear your schedule at some point this summer and we will contact you. And get ready. Get ready to do it. Yeah. She's, wait a minute. Nope. She's not the only Graves we've not had on the show. We'll be missing Jacob. If yeah, she we have Jacob, the, the, the son, her brother, will be the only Graves that has not been on the show after Claudia comes on. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to figure out something that Jacob is interested in and just do the whole family and be done with it. And Jacob, he, he likes true crime as well. Yeah. So, so we can figure out something. We and can then do we that. can just have the whole fam family. Yep. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like family. <laughs> All right, so um, today is part two of the escape from Alcatraz. So if mm. you have not listened to last week's episode, you need to pause. Hit the brakes. And you need to go back and listen to it. And sometimes that happens at True Crime on Easy Street. Most of the time you can pick up anywhere and just listen. But yep. if it's a part one and a part two and maybe a part three, whatever, you need to do those in order. Yeah, yeah. go All back right. and start over if you're listening to this if you That's didn't right. pay attention. That's right. Yeah. So, Scott, uh-huh. take it away. All right. First, I have to ask you guys a question. I texted you guys a couple of days ago and hinted that I was going to do this. Okay. Oh, man. So, I was watching uh, an Atlanta Braves pregame show last week, and I grabbed the phone as I was watching, and that's the second one I texted you, and I said, hey, I want to ask you guys a question, because on the show, the pregame show, in an attempt to introduce the players to the fans a little bit better and just to get to know them... Uh, they were being asked a question, and the question that they were being asked was to name something that you are deathly afraid of. Mm-hmm. So I'll briefly go first. Okay. I'm extremely afraid of 
heights. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm scared to death of heights. I don't like it. I tried to watch this movie uh, yesterday and today. It's available on Amazon. It's called Fall. Nope. F-A-L-L. It's two girls. They're oh. adventurous who climb the top of this 2,000-foot radio yeah. tower. I would have had to replace the arms, the arms on my recliner if I had tried to watch the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah, I'm out on that too. Yeah, okay. So anyway, that's my thing. So now you guys go. All right, so you stole the, the mine. I'm glad I went that's, first. That's, yeah. It, my palms are sweating thinking about oh, it. I know. Heights. I yeah. hate that. But I also hate snakes. Okay. So there, there's another thing. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to get close enough to a snake to determine if it's poisonous or not based on the, the shape right. of the head. I'm not going to climb a 2,000-foot radio tower if I see a snake. But... Exactly. If it's a if it's a poisonous snake, I might. Man, that's a tough question. I mean, could I just go halfway so the snake couldn't get me? <laughs> just how, 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 how high can a snake climb? Oh my gosh, that's no. Total... I think snakes can climb. Yeah, I think, I think I'd have to fight the snake. Oh, yeah, God, whole, whole other <laughs> level of fear unlocked. Okay, so Katie's already said she would fight the snake, so we know that she's not afraid of snakes. See, yeah, when you said that too, I tried to think of. Um, something that I'm more afraid of than heights. And I don't really have a, t- uh, this goes sound stupid because I'm also like a really jumpy person. Okay. You walk in my, okay, yeah. you walk in my house. I'm probably going to scream like Shane walks in. He's like, <laughs> you don't live alone. Why do you not think anyone's coming home? So I'm not, but I'm not a very afraid person. I'm just jumpy, but okay. heights is mine. Like we went to these, this high ropes course in high school. And we were like, it was like basketball team thing. You, I was in like eighth grade. Like a team building exercise. Yes. Trying to be cool. Could not. You had to climb up your harness in. You had to climb up this like tree situation. Uh-huh. And walk across. is is 40 feet in the air. I'm out. And walk across this trunk situation they've put up there and then zip line down. I have bawled my eyes out the whole time. <laughs> I'm talking, I'm crying like a baby. And our uh-huh. basketball coach is having to like coach me through it. I don't know why they didn't just like, Get down. Yeah. No, but I, in my mind, I had to do it. So I'm crying. Yeah. Just the whole time. Mm. I can totally understand that you had to finish it. Yeah. Crying. Tears and all. <laughs> I'm just like, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah, after apparently there you. is <laughs> crying in basketball. There's no crying in baseball, but there is crying <laughs> in basketball. Crying and there's in a, high ropes course. <laughs> I was about to say, there's a lot in the high ropes course. So yeah, definitely. We're all afraid of heights here. So that's one thing we have in common. We got a few other things. But uh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not afraid of flying. Like, an airplane doesn't scare me. I know landing in an airplane scares Scott. Yeah. But he has taken many a flight. I have. More than I care to, mm-hmm. but you can't go anywhere without flying. Yeah. Landing doesn't bother me. Landing I don't is like the, the worst part I don't for like me. the takeoff. I don't like the takeoff. Yeah, flying doesn't, like, it doesn't bother me. Like, that's that part of heights is fine. Oh, you know, here's another one. I, I, Closed-in spaces. Oh, yeah, I'm claustrophobic as well. I hate that crap. Mm-hmm. This whole stuff with the submarine that's been yeah oh oh yeah, yeah. no welcome to another yeah and i saw a video with it that they were showing the inside of the submarine a few months ago and it's and, and i don't i still don't know how they got five people in it yeah oh my god it's it's, it's a little bit bigger than a than a garden sized bathtub on the inside yeah i oh guess my gosh. two more fears for me would be i'm not going in the ocean deep like that mm. under it and i'm not going into space yeah okay oh i want nothing to do with nothingness <laughs> This this world is for us. Right. That, that's it. I got you. <laughs> I like that's a good that plan. too. And did you guys see the simulation of what yes. happened when it imploded? Oh, yeah. How quickly it imploded? Yeah, they never. I guess that's a that's a silver lining though. Maybe yeah. because it was quick. Oh yeah. my gosh. They, they said that they, it would have. They wouldn't have even known. No. Oh my like gosh. They would have heard a pop and then. Yeah. So that everything stopped. Oh my gosh. Just you know, running out of air. 
The, yeah, the slowly them thinking, they oh, about. they're out of oh. air. It's day five or day whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and we were thinking that they don't have any air. That I guess that is definitely better than yeah than slowly losing air. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In a, in a confined space. I say to respect the ocean. I absolutely mm-hmm. do. Yeah, me too. I'm scared of deep water. That's another thing. I, I just got back from the beach and I had a wonderful time. In the ocean, but there was a riptide. There was a there was a very uh, rip current. The first day that we were there, they had the red flag out, so you don't swim right. in the in the rip current. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we're sitting on the beach, and we hear sirens oh, no. and everything. And here come two these two big. I can't call them a golf cart because that doesn't do it justice. But it's like the Baywatch the, the thing, big just right. up and yeah. thing. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And they're running out, and then there's jet skis are hitting the water, and and here comes a big boat, and we're going, what the crap? And someone had decided to get into the ocean, mm-hmm. and they quickly got pulled mm-hmm. out, and so there were again two jet skis beside the person. One of the lifeguards jumped in, swam the person back to shore, or it took a long slowly yeah you have to swim across the current right yeah, yeah. the police Parallel. boat was there yeah. a helicopter flew over i mean they were serious about this wow but the person was able to get to shore and just based on where we were sitting uh it would i would say the person was probably 13 or 14 oh god so a very terrifying experience for when he or she person, won't soon yes. forget. Absolutely. But but made it out alive. So so that's a good thing. Yeah. And there was no uh well thank goodness other for, issues. I guess Orange Beach EMS or Yeah, whomever. definitely. That's where we were. So that was uh some excitement, but I got in to about my knees mm-hmm. on the rip the rip current day. And you could still feel it, even just that shallow. I have to get in a little bit deeper than that. For reasons that I don't have to explain mm-hmm. to anyone, and then I'm right back out again. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, but the next day it was great. The current was gone. Everybody could swim. Everybody was having a great time. But definitely respecting that ocean. A narrow escape. Yeah. You have come back tan. I you do have a little you, bit you of a tan. You mm-hmm. to the beach. A little bit of definitely. A tan. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of the word escape, oh, has anybody noticed? Well, I, I let me say this. I have noticed when I've watched all of these documentaries that I've been watching for the last couple of weeks about the escape from Alcatraz, that a lot of the people who pronounce the word escape say, escape. Have I been pronouncing it wrong my entire life? Well, it's spelled escape. I know. And I say escape. But a lot of these... No, I feel like that's... Scholars like- and law enforcement officials and people... I think I've said it both ways, honestly. If I have to get real honest and think about it, I've probably used both... But well, I never escape. will again because I noticed it. It feels escape. like yeah. people who say espresso. Right. Oh, Same thing. Yeah. 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 You guys are coffee nerds. Yeah. Espresso is not the correct pronunciation of that word. No. It is espresso. Yes. As Gene Hackman says in his cameo appearance in Young Frankenstein in 1972, espresso. You'll have to watch the movie if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Another movie for Katie to watch. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. Uh, yeah. Then you'll just have to watch it to see what I mean. Did anybody watch Escape from Alcatraz? Did I just say Escape? I think Probably. you did. Did anybody watch Escape from Alcatraz this past week? Not me. Not me. Unbelievable. Sorry. That's okay. I'm going to tell you about it. All right. Tell us about it. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Escape from Alcatraz. We got 
partway down that road last week, we told you a little bit about the setup, about what was what had to happen in order for the escape by Frank Morris and John Anglin and his brother Clarence Anglin to be pulled off successfully. The first thing they had to do is get out of their prison cells. And then they had to get they had to hide the fact that they were gone. So those are the first two things that they did. And so they they've used one solution for both of those problems. They used paper mache that they made out of uh, paper that was stolen from uh, magazine articles or from pages of magazines. And they used the concrete that they were chipping away from the wall in their sink. And they would mix up this paper mache and they made for one thing, they made a, a, a cover to go over that, that grate in the wall mm-hmm. so that as they dug it out, they could hide all of their progress. And then they had to make dummy heads to put in the bed because there are prisoner counts during the night when they don't wake up the prisoners, mm-hmm. the guards just walk along the cell block and make sure that there's a head on every pillow. Yeah. And so that was the way not to do that. Right. So these guys are pretty smart, smart enough to figure that part out. And then they had to uh, get to the roof and they had a way to do that because Frank Morris had been told by his neighbor on cell block B, his name was Alan West. He participated in every aspect of the escape except for actually climbing out of his cell and going with them. Is there a reason? I, I think he chickened out. Uh. But he was he was instrumental and he was the one who knew about the uh, air duct on the top of the cell block mm-hmm. that didn't have a fan in it that if they could find out a way to climb up into it, they could get onto the roof and then shimmy down a, so they a all, pipe. They all had to get to this guy's cell? No, no, no. Everybody left from their own cell and then you climbed up this uh, maze of pipes in this narrow utility oh. corridor between two cell blocks. Okay, so you didn't actually have to go through his. He right. Just, he just knew about the system Everybody could see it in his he cell. He was a janitor no, he was a janitor, and so he spent time up on the top of that cell block cleaning up. And so he had noticed, hey, wait a minute. Oh, okay. That I was pipe, confused about how, yeah. how it worked. When that pipe, and he'd been there since 57, and so he knew from having been there for six years, seven years, that when the fan that was in that duct broke and was removed, mm-hmm. they never put a replacement fan in it, so it was hollow. Gotcha. Okay, so we've mentioned these names several times, but let me introduce you one more time. Frank Morris is the, he's the head of this escape team. And then the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence, they get to, the, to Alcatraz a few months after he does. Alan West has been there for years when Morris arrives. Mm-hmm. These are the four guys who are going to perpetrate this escape. Now, one thing that you need to know about Alcatraz is what happens during the course of a typical day in the life of somebody who lives on the island of Alcatraz as a prisoner. And I'll tell you about the other people who lived on Alcatraz who weren't prisoners in just a second. But just here's a quick example of what it was like a life in the day on Alcatraz. The first thing you heard at 630 in the morning was a guard blowing a whistle. That meant get up out of your bed, splash some water on your face. You've got 20 minutes to be standing in front of your prison door for the first count of the day. At 7 o'clock, the third whistle blows. The second whistle blows at 6.50. That's when the head count starts. At 7 o'clock, the third whistle blows. Everybody files out of their prison cell, goes to breakfast. There's another head count on the way to your, your workstation for the day, wherever that may be, the mat shop, the tailor shop, uh, the broom shop. At 9.30, there's a break. At 11.30, lunch. And every time there's one of these stoppages that I'm telling you guys about, they count them again. They count them... 12 times over the course of a day. Wow. 12, 20 lunch begins. You have 20 minutes to eat lunch. 
And then everybody has to lean back from their chair. The guards come around to everybody's station on the tables to make sure that your spoon and your fork are right where you left them. Mm-hmm. Nobody steals utensils and they count you again. You go back to work for the afternoon from 2.30 to 4.30. You work again at 4.30. You go to dinner. By 5 o'clock, you're locked up in your cell. They count you again. Uh, they count you again at 8 o'clock. Lights go out at 9.30. They count you again at midnight, 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. And those are the situations. Those are the, the, counting, the countings that take place without the prisoners being awakened. They're just walking by. That's, when you, need, that's when you need a head on the pillow. Gotcha. Whether it's yours or your, or your paper mache dummy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what happens on a day in the life for the prisoners. And here's something that's one of the best kept secrets about Alcatraz. And I watched a documentary about this this morning. There were about 150 people who lived on the island who were either the guards or the family members of the guards. They, some of them lived there for 15 years. 75 children were born on Alcatraz. Wait, so there's like guard quarters, like family quarters. Yes, there, are, there's an, there were apartment complexes. There were uh, 50 of the 150, 160 guards, about 50 of them at any time lived either in bachelor's quarters that you could uh, rent for $9 a month, or you lived in a, a family quarters, a bigger apartment that was more expensive. I'm not sure how much, but there were families who lived there. There's a documentary on a YouTube channel called uh, The Children of Alcatraz that interviews a lot of those people in their adulthoods in the 80s and 90s when the documentary was made. But it, they talk about uh, their time as children on the island. And it was, they, they thought it was pretty cool. Hey, I live on an island out in the middle of San Francisco Bay. They, were, they, weren't, they didn't mingle with the prisoners. Well, some of them did. Like you could talk to them through the fence if they were the ones that were trusted enough to be gardeners or some sort of outdoor mm-hmm. work. That's um, wild. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that. Uh, until I started digging into this. Yeah. All right. So there's a few famous inmates that we've all heard about. Uh, Al Capone, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Mm -hmm. Alvin Karpus, uh, some of the more famous, uh, uh, one of the Barker boys was, he was shot attempting to escape in the forties. Right. But there were a lot of famous people who lived there. And those kids on that documentary, they will talk about uh, one time this, this one girl said that she had to send her shoes to the shoe shop in the prison to be repaired. And when she got them back, uh, Al Capone had signed his name on the sole of the shoe. He was the guy who fixed her shoes. Oh my God. <clears throat> and she even said in the documentary, I probably should have hung on to that. It might be worth something now. Probably. She said, but at the time it was the only pair of shoes I had and I had to go to school. Yeah. And so they would take, they would go down to the dock every morning and get on one of the ferries, 40, 50, 60 kids and be taking the 10 minute ride over to the mainland to walk or to ride a bus to their local elementary school and do the same thing on the way back every afternoon. That is a crazy upbringing. I know. Uh, One last story about the people who lived there. When the the kids got a little bit older, uh, the teenagers, if they dated somebody who lived on the mainland, they would have to ride the ferry over from Alcatraz to the mainland, pick them up, and they would have dances. They had a, uh, they had a two story. They called it a, uh, the social hall. I think it was called. Mm -hmm. They had a two lane bowling alley, a couple of pool tables, a ping pong table, a snack bar, uh, uh, a malt shop on Alcatraz on Alcatraz inside the uh, private living quarters. So they would wow. go over to the mainland, pick up their date for the night, bring them back and they would hang out on Alcatraz Island. They would have uh, socials and dances and mm-hmm. holiday events. And then they would ride them back, drop them off and come back. 
Wow. <clears throat> that was a date. Wow. Who are you going for your date tonight? Alcatraz. Yeah. Could, could you imagine, you know, your daughter coming to you and saying, hey, I, I want to go out with this guy. Oh, where's he from? Alcatraz. <laughs> oh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's that was a thing that I learned that I thought was was very interesting. Yeah. Um. So I've mentioned Morris and West and the Anglins. The only time that they really had to discuss things about this escape plan was when they would be in the rec yard mm-hmm. on Sunday, Saturday or Sunday afternoon. They half the inmates like B block went on Saturday for two hours and C block went on Sunday, something like that. So the only time that they really had to discuss this thing because you still weren't supposed to talk unless it was necessary. A lot of the guys figured out ways around that, but they could really talk amongst themselves and not worry about a guard overhearing them on Sundays. And so the speculation is that it was one of these Sundays when West, the janitor who spotted the pipe in the ceiling, told Morris about it. Morris starts to figure out this plan. He, We're going to rip out the pages of the magazine, do the paper mache. We've gotten that far already. The escape is starting. The plan for the escape is starting to take shape. It takes them about six months. They start in November or December of '61. Uh, Morris has already been there since January of 1960, and the Anglin brothers arrived about a year later. They didn't arrive at the same time, but by December of '61, both of the Anglin brothers are also there, and they're in adjacent cells. Which later somebody said, "Why would you put two brothers who have a history of criminal activity and escapes?" In cells right beside each other. Seems like an oversight. <clears throat> yeah. And so one night, Morris, he, he knows about the ventilation shaft, but he doesn't know how to get out of his cell. That's the big holdup for him. And so one night, he's, he, he drops his nail clip. And he goes to the back under the sink to pick it up. And while he's down there, he's just like chipping. He's kind of angry. Dog on it. I wish I could figure something out. And this is the speculation anyway. And a chunk of concrete comes off right around that metal grate mm-hmm. in the in the wall. And this is when he gets the idea for the paper mache and he's if I can if we can dig through this and so that's 6 months in the works. And he's got to get spoons. <clears throat> They've got to figure out some way to steal spoons from uh from the cafeteria. They need other tools. Luckily, they spread the word around the prison and the other inmates that they trust enough to talk about the escape plan at least are more than willing to help them get them tools that they need, maybe an extra raincoat here or there or, or a piece of wood and a piece of metal that they can, uh, they can screw together. And now you've got a, a, a screwdriver or a wrench or something that you can hide that's small enough that you can get back to your cell. And as they accumulate these tools, they hide them in the space behind that metal grate. When they finally get the metal grate off, they can hide all of their stuff, including their paper mache heads in that narrow space that apparently nobody walked through in six months. Mm-hmm. You would think at least somebody would have had to fix a, a leaky pipe or something in that amount of time, but that's where supposedly they hid all of their stuff until they got ready to break out and nobody ever found any of it. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so they've, they've figured out how to hide their absence, how to get out of the cell. They figured out how to get to the roof. The only thing that's left is how to get to the mainland once they get to the edge of the island. Seems like the most crucial part because people have got out of the prison before, yes. but no one's made it to It's the always mainland. been the water. Yeah. It's always been the frigid, crazy tides in San Francisco Bay that has foiled every previous escape attempt. I mean, do people like swim at the beach in San Francisco? I would assume so, but I guess just maybe not out in the middle of San Francisco Bay where these tides are so extreme 
at high tide and low tide. But I think the water there is always colder yeah, like, I think than what we know yes, at the beach here. I think you're right. So maybe which, people just get used to cold water. Which was a factor in why they wanted to build this prison out there, right? One that's, of the reasons why, yeah, that's that's going to be the, the final border mm-hmm. uh, or, or the final fence to keep you inside on Alcatraz is going to be the fact that you couldn't possibly, right, get across mm-hmm. this mile and a quarter yeah, like, of open freezing water. Yeah, because, you know, like you're not building it on Key West. People are going to get in that water. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. So, and they're going to see a beautiful sunset. Yeah, when they do that. Yeah, because um, plenty of people have made it from Cuba to Key West. You know, the water is not that crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's the cold water that's that's the big holdup, at least in theory. So they know that they've got to get um, across the water somehow. And I mentioned last week the Popular Mechanics magazines. A couple of articles in some Popular Mechanics issues. I think one was from March of '62. Actually, described how to build a uh, a life jacket out of a piece of rubber. It was the fifties. There wasn't a Walmart on every corner. You couldn't just go get everything back then. So a lot of people still had tool sheds and built things for themselves, you know, worked on their own shoes and made their own dresses and built their own life jackets. I guess I wouldn't want to try and fix or build anything that my life was going to depend on, but they did it. And one of the things that they did when they, when they figured out a way to get up to the top of their cell block on the, above the third floor, there's still a 10 foot area between the top of the cell block that they're standing on and the ceiling. So they, they, they're going to figure out a way to get into that pipe, but they've also realized that they've got a great place to build. that's hidden from everybody's view, a great place to build their raft. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take some time. And actually, uh, Alan West, at one point, he's the janitor, and he gets an assignment to paint the floor up there on the top of that cell block. And he, his first thought is, they're going to find out our little workshop where we're building these raincoats into life rafts. And so he suggests to the guard, why don't you let me hang some blankets all around the fencing? It's, it's, all, it's a chain link fence all the way around it. Let me hang some blankets because the first thing I'm going to have to do before I paint it is I'm going to have to mop it up and sweep it up. And the warden really hates it for there to be dust and dirt anywhere. And if I'm mopping and sweeping up here, it's all going to fall down into the cell blocks below. Mm -hmm. And so the guards, for whatever reason, first of all, agree to let him hang blankets all the way around this area, thereby concealing it from any scant notice of a guard that just happens to look up three stories and see something that shouldn't be there happening. Yeah. Okay. And so the other thing that the blankets do, um, it creates a situation where normally you would think that there would have to be a guard who would attend that area just to keep an eye on the prisoner who was working. But for whatever reason, maybe the guard was lazy. Maybe some new policy had come down from the top. The guard would open up the gate to the stairs that went up to the third floor to the level above the third floor and just let Alan West go up on his own. So nobody ever sees this little work area that they have and they've got glue and raincoats split into pieces and they use heat from one of the steam pipes to melt the rubber and the glue. And it's a pretty elaborate process. They used over 50 raincoats to build this raft. So it wasn't a tiny little thing. It's pretty amazing that they were able to get 50 raincoats without them going yeah, and, noticing and, yeah. And when they did, when, when all of this, when it all hits the fan later and they get to looking in the inventories and seeing all the things about the, the spoons that are missing from the cafeteria and the tools that are missing and but all of how? these other things, they find 50 missing raincoats in the inventory. 
53, I think, was the exact number. Oh, good gracious. How did they get away with the spoons? You said they counted all the spoons? Well, there's a, there's a scene in Escape from Alcatraz where, and I don't know if it's, uh, if it's accurate or not, but Clint Eastwood holds up his spoon and says, hey, guard, this spoon is dirty. Do you, can I go get another one? Mm-hmm. And so he goes and gets, he, go, he gets up and walks over to the desk where the guard is minding the spoons and forks. And he hands him the old one. And while the guard's not looking, he grabs two new spoons. So he's got one to eat with and he pockets the other one. So now he's got an extra spoon and nobody okay. counts the spoon or mm-hmm. <clears throat> they think they've made a mistake with their count because surely nobody right. stole a spoon. Right, right. But that that's those are the kinds of methods that they used to to get things that they needed. They also got a uh they they turned a a not a ceiling fan, a uh, an oscillating fan. Mm-hmm. They stole that from the music room one day in Frank Morris's accordion case. We mentioned that last week. And they turned it into a drill. Hmm. They uh, used a wooden shaft from a putty knife to wedge the grills out of the walls when they got enough concrete removed that they could get the gate, or the grate off the wall. Uh, they even made a periscope out of a couple of mirrors and some cardboard so that they could look out of their cell and see down both ends of Broadway, which they called the big main hallway there between the cell blocks, to see if a guard was coming. Because remember, they, they worked in shifts. So mm-hmm. Morris and West were beside each other. One worked while the other watched, and the brothers Anglin did the same. Uh, they had a bar separator, just a little simple screw device that will allow you to pull, uh, push two bars apart, and they'll eventually break, and you can crawl through that bigger hole. Uh, they made homemade wooden paddles to use when they got into the water to paddle their way across the bay. And they found one of those the next day after this all happened. He had studied, Morris did, uh, and I think I mentioned this last week, he studied the water safety signposts and the channel buoys and the tidal uh, charts for San Francisco Bay so that to help them have a better chance of escape. And there's, there was a certain time of day, if the water's rushing in, it's going to push you eastward, obviously. And if the water's rushing out, it's going to suck you out into the Pacific Ocean. But if you time it just right, about 11 o'clock at night, the water's as still as it's ever going to get and okay. as calm as it's ever going so to get. So you got to go then. So if you climb out of your cell, it lights out at 930. You got till 11 to get in that room. You got until 11 o'clock to get in the water. Okay. And that's, you know, we could sit here all day and speculate about what happened or what might have happened, but the people who think that they got away with it think that they timed it just right and that Morris knew what he was doing and maybe had a little luck on their side. Oh, there was certainly some luck because when they finally got up to the top of that ventilation shaft, it's sometime around 1030 at night, I guess, and Morris is first and he pushes the top off. He's spent weeks with that drill bit that he made from a fan and some other tools that he used to finally get the top to come off. So that night he climbs up and he, he very carefully grabs it and holds it and sticks his head up out and the, the spotlight comes around and misses him. And he's like, okay, we've, we've gotten this far. And then there's a gust of wind and it rips the cover of that ventilation shaft out of his hand and it clatters across the, the ceiling. Whoops. And they all scoop back down again and think, okay, the, the jig's up. We're, we're, we're busted. Mm-hmm. But that's another thing that turns up later in the investigation. A lot of the guards heard that racket. Nobody went to check and see what it was. They were just like, eh. Yeah. What would have happened if they would have got caught? Uh, They would have spent months in isolation cells and probably had five years added to their 
already lengthy prison okay, so terms. they had like isolation cells. Sure, yeah. In previous escape attempts, the guys who had been caught, uh, I think one of them spent 17 months uh, in solitary confinement. Ooh, and that means bad. that you... You you don't go to eat at the cafeteria with everybody else. You st- they bring you your food. The only thing that you got to do was, uh, I think you got a shower every two weeks. And on Sunday, you still got to go out on, into the rec yard. But you didn't go into the rec yard when everyone else did. You had a special time. So there were you know four or five of you instead of a hundred of you. So you couldn't play the baseball games that they played a lot in that rec yard at mm-hmm. Alcatraz or any of the other... I don't want to say fun. I'm doing air quotes, but yeah. you know, if you had any fun while you spent time at Alcatraz, it was that two-hour period. You hope the weather. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A and W Outdoor Services. You know they're located right here in Cherokee County, and I called Alan myself just a few weeks ago, and he and his crew came out to my house, pressure washed the whole thing. It looks brand new. Well, as brand new as my house can possibly look after 25 years. But all I did was call Alan at 256-706-7964. He and the guys showed up and cleaned up everything. It looked fantastic. The pollen has fallen a little bit since then. So if you haven't done this already, now's the perfect time to call Alan and A&W Outdoor Services at 256 706 Seven nine six four, and let them do for you what they've already done for me. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake. Swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. Take a day's long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are, and if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. We're proud to have another show sponsor, Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill. Faraway is a small, family-owned business with small-town values located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. But they can do big things for you. Call Faraway for anything you want done to a tree, or a lot of them. You want your trees removed? Call Faraway. You want your trees cut up and milled into lumber or ground into mulch? Call Faraway. Faraway is licensed and insured and can handle any job, big or small, from tree trimming to stump grinding and everything in between. So call Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill today at 256-393-5398. And thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors. Okay, Scott. Now all right, so we're escaping from Alcatraz. Morris and the Anglin brothers are on the roof of the prison. Yes. Alan West has... The story is that a few days before the escape took place, Alan West got the jitters. And so he tried to fix the hole in his wall. Mm-hmm. He found some concrete, 
somewhere and or some cement and he mixed it up and he was going to try to piece his thing back together because he decided he didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> For whatever reason, maybe that punishment that you talked about yeah. a second ago, Katie. But when the, when the time came on the night of June the 11th, Alan West decided he wanted to go. So he's in his cell chipping away at his newly repaired wall and the other guys are making a break for it. He finally gets to the roof. I'm sorry. He doesn't get to the roof of the building. He gets to the roof of the cell block and he sees the fourth life jacket that, that they left for him Mm -hmm. in case he changed his mind or got out, but they were long gone by then. Mm -hmm. So he he went back down to his cell and when the alarm went off the next morning, uh, Alan West could not wait to tell everybody all about how Morris and the Anglin brothers had escaped. So because, he spilled it all. Yes, and it actually got his sentence reduced. Oh, for his uh, uh, for him giving away what few details they hadn't figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right away. But yeah, so that morning, and I'm getting ahead a little bit, but but that morning, the next morning at that six fifty, when that whistle blew, and then uh, there's still three guys with their heads on their pillows when you're supposed to be standing at your cell door to be counted. You know. A guard comes over and pokes, and the head rolls off into the floor. Oh, gosh. And the sirens go off, and mm. Alan West is laughing and jumping up and down. They did it. They got away, and pretty soon the whole cell block's going nuts. And uh, Alan West supposedly holds out his paper mache great cover to show the guards, you know, what happened. And mm-hmm. um, But anyway, we haven't gotten that far yet. So we're back on the roof. All right. It's the night before we're on the roof. Morris and the Anglins. They run all the way down to the south end of the cell block, close to the kitchen, and there is a, it's, it's not a standard metal pipe, it's not a six-inch metal pipe, it's like an eight-inch or a ten-inch metal pipe, it's some sort of a smokestack, maybe from a boiler down in the basement, so it's probably hot on top of everything else, well, maybe not in June, although uh, Mark Twain once wrote, and I agree, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco because I was there in June in 2017 and it was freezing. Really? Freezing cold. I will never forget. We were standing on Pier 33 waiting to get onto the ferry. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I had bought the tickets weeks in advance. You had to. You have to. If you're going to go to San Francisco and you want to see Alcatraz, don't go to Pier 33 that morning thinking thinking that you're going to get tickets and hop on a ferry. You've got to buy them weeks before. All right. Good to know. I found that out by accident and thank goodness because we would not have been able to go if I hadn't known that. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we're standing there waiting to go. And you guys know what a nerd I am. I've done my homework. I know that it's going to be cold even in, yes. even in June on San Francisco Bay. But a lot of people who were there waiting to get on that ferry did not. And so by the time that ferry was full of people that afternoon to go to Alcatraz, I'm pretty sure the Alcatraz gift shop had sold out of sweatshirts. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'd have been one. Everybody on that ferry, except us, was wearing shorts, and an Alcatraz sweatshirt because that's what they'd been wearing all day except for the sweatshirt. Um, yeah, we we had the pants on and they're like, no, we don't need the... I mean, yeah, please, just... I don't want to... Dress wanna, warm. Yes. Okay. But it was freezing. I remember sticking my head out the window, the door, uh, when we were doing the tour and nobody else even went as far out as I did and I didn't go very far, but it was to just look at the wreck yard and the wind coming off the bay. It, it, was, the, it was like opening a freezer door. So they were freezing when yes. they were up on that roof. Oh, yeah. Um, sh- surely they were. If there was any sort of weather at all, it was a half moon that night. It wasn't foggy, so maybe the weather wasn't terrible. But fog was another big thing. 
there in San Francisco Bay, just the way that it works. I don't know. Yeah, the one time that I've been uh, across the... Golden Gate Bridge? Yes. It was so foggy, we couldn't see. On the bridge, you yeah. couldn't see the bridge. Couldn't see anything? Yeah. No. Like, I have pictures, and it's like, once you got right up on it, you could see. Oh, I got you. like, you couldn't see the bridge. I got lucky. The day we went across, it was... I don't think there was a cloud in the sky. We rode on one of those, uh, it was an old school bus and they've chopped half the roof off the back to make it exposed to the elements. And it was just a, that next day was beautiful. But that afternoon, evening before was freezing cold on San Francisco Bay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so whatever the temperature was, they had to get down that pipe and cut through some chain link fences. They had tools for that, that they had pieced together over the months. Mm -hmm. They got down to the water's edge. And here's where the speculation begins. Because for a long time, the story was that they inflated the raft right there. They had, uh, they had created some valves using uh, like a Windex squeeze bottle. Mm-hmm. They had chopped off that plastic tubing and had sewn it into the raft in a couple of places. And that's how they filled it with air. At least according to this book. There's one book that says that Morris took his accordion with him and they used the accordion to pump it full. <laughs> which I think is ridiculous, but whatever. So one strategy or one theory is that they pumped it full of air there and paddled north and got away or drowned. Mm. But there's another theory that they went all the way around the island the wrong way to avoid the one watchtower that would have been between them and the boat dock, Mm -hmm. which they were pretty close to where they went down to the water, where everybody agrees and the dog hound, the, the hounds found that that was the trail that they used to get down to the water. But there was a guard tower between them and the dock. But if they walked all the way around the island, or maybe paddled all the way around the island, it's not that big, and you could get back to the boat dock and remain hidden, there was 120 feet of electrical cord that was missing from the dock the next day. And so th- this alternate theory is that they tied their raft to the last ferry that left that night, which left at 12.15. And it pulled them to San Francisco. And they didn't have to paddle for their lives. They were pulled. And there's another theory that they were pulled halfway and somebody in a boat picked them up, a prearranged meeting place, halfway between Alcatraz and the mainland. And that's how they got away. So there's plenty of theories about what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But all they ever found was one of those wooden paddles, a bag of photographs and letters that one of the Anglin brothers had kept, mm-hmm. and two of the three life jackets. That's it. Hmm. So, uh, the FBI officially gave up on the investigation in 1979. I might have mentioned that last week when we were talking about Escape from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Per- Perhaps some coincidence that the year that the movie came out, the FBI said, damn it, just fine. If you're going to rub our noses in it, we'll just close the case. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. Marshals Service has never closed the case. And it is their job to, and I've seen one of the interviews with one of the agents, look, it's, it's, it's our job to keep this investigation open because we want anybody who is a, is a prisoner, an inmate, who's thinking about escaping or who has escaped to know we're going to look for you for as long as it takes. Either till they turn up dead or they're 99 years old. So what, what do the FBI or the marshals, what do they think? Do they think they made it or that I think they The drowned? FBI thinks that they drowned. Okay. The marshal service thinks that that theory about them working their way all the way around the island and using that 120-foot cord to somehow be pulled to, to freedom mm-hmm. 
is the more plausible of the theories. And you can look at a photograph that some distant family members of the Anglins turned over to the Marshal Service in the early 2000s that is allegedly of John and Clarence Anglin, taken in Brazil in 1975. Hmm. And a facial recognition expert told the Marshal Service, I think that's them. Okay, so so they're thinking, and yeah. it makes sense. FBI is like, well, they drown. Cl- yeah. Case closed, right? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's their theory. So the next morning, there's it's the biggest manhunt since uh, the Lindbergh kidnapping, the wow. biggest federally uh, led manhunt since the Lindbergh kidnapping in 1932. So in a generation, uh, they called the warden who. Uh, Called the FBI, the California Highway Patrol was involved, the U.S. Army, San Francisco police, police in Oakland, Berkeley, other surrounding towns, the Coast Guard with helicopters, military police. Uh, the Golden Gate Bridge was, was searched, and a guy had jumped to his death. He'd committed suicide on June the 11th from the Golden Gate Bridge. 43 people jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in the early 1960s, and they only ever found 17 of them. Mm. And they did not find this guy, despite this massive search for Morris and the Anglin brothers. So it, it wouldn't be unheard of for someone to drown in San Francisco Bay and never be seen or heard from again. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what the FBI will tell you. They will say, look, these guys are career criminals. They had no employable job skills. There's no way they wouldn't have turned up somewhere at some point again like committing another crime. Yeah, the, the recidivism is going to give them away. There's no way that they're going to go, all right, guys, that's it. We got away. No more No more crime. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah. And they'd already been caught several times. So yeah. They're not good criminals. Like, they're not. No. You know. Well, that, I mean, they robbed a bank in Columbia, Alabama, and somehow got captured. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably two police officers in Columbia. Like we said last week, all you had to do at the time was not be there when the cops got there. Yeah. And you got away. All right, so that's kind of pretty much what happened on Alcatraz, guys. I mean, uh, there was that massive search, and you, I've watched, I've gone down, I know we haven't said rabbit holes on this show in a few weeks, but there are plenty of rabbit holes about what happened to Morris and the Anglins that you can find on, uh, on your various streaming apps, uh, documentaries. You know, now since HBO Max has become Max, they have opened up this entire library of Discovery Channel stuff. Uh, documentaries and, and uh, investigative reports. And I found two or three of those this morning just looking around that I didn't have time to watch, but I'm going to go home and watch them tonight after the Birmingham Stallions win their playoff game. Go Stallions. Sweet. Okay, nobody cares. Anyway, <laughs> after I watch the Stallions game tonight, I'm going to watch some more of those Alcatraz documentaries because now I wish that I had had, I mean, I had two weeks to prepare for this, damn it. And I still feel like I... There's well, so much out there that well, I don't know that I want to know. But there's so much out there that, that no one knows. I mean, mm-hmm. I this think is true. I think this is, I think you did a great job, first of all. Well, the basic facts, we're 101 level true crime here. Absolutely. So, yeah. And so what's left is for our listeners to, you know, dive into it more if they want to. But everybody needs to have this decision. Do you think yeah, that, they mm-hmm. made it or that they didn't? Well, let's it. ask you guys first. What do you guys think? If they tied themselves to a ferry mm-hmm. and were pulled across, yeah. I could easily see them making it. 
I don't know. How, how would you do that without being noticed? I don't know. Well, it was 120 theory. feet and it okay, is, so it is long, dark. It is dark. So I, I guess mean, that that's makes, how. That makes a lot of sense to me. But, but without that, without that rope missing or that cord yeah, missing, electrical right. cord, I would say they drowned. Yeah. But because that's missing, I'm thinking maybe they did make it. I or, don't know. Or maybe some putts forgot to put it back the day before or stole it. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With yeah. all this other stuff, you, yeah. you just don't know. Some dot worker. Katie? I like to think that they made it. Yeah. But I... Yeah, if they made it, they'd have had to skip the country because I, I can definitely see they, they're, they're career criminals. So they yeah. started committing crimes somewhere else. That's, that's what I think. I mean, look, here, the one thing that bugs me the most about this is every aspect of this plan was pretty thoroughly thought through, surely to goodness. They had a plan also for what they would do if they made it to dry land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they got to head south. They didn't crawl out of the water and go, shit, we made it. What do we do now? Yeah. Right. They had to have a plan for that too, mm-hmm. so just far, in case. How far is San Diego from San Francisco? Uh, several hundred miles. Is it? Yeah. So I think LA is three hundred miles south of San Francisco, and San Diego is probably another three hundred miles south of that. I'm guessing. So I, I was just thinking, if you're in San Diego, you know, Tijuana's right there, right across. But you got to get there. But now, yeah. if that one theory about them being picked up by a boat. Mm-hmm. If that, that boat can motor all the way down the coast, I mean, it's going to take a day or two. But yeah, I mean, just motor them down to Baja, California, and you're in Mexico, and then, and there you go from there. Pal, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. I mean, gosh, and, and another thing that's that's interesting about the escape from Alcatraz is you find yourself rooting for these cri- they're criminals. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> yeah, they were they were put. On Alcatraz for a reason. Yeah, there's a really good Mel Gibson movie. Nobody knows about it. It's called Payback. And the tagline for the movie is, <laughs> get ready to root for the bad guy. Yeah. Because I know, I do you know it? Movie. I yeah. love that movie. And he's a movie. criminal. And, but he's, you know, he's the, yeah. he's, the, he's the most honest of all the crooks in the movie. Yeah. And you find yourself rooting for the guy. Well, I mean, did anybody watch Breaking Bad? You rooted for... Right. True. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah, you're rooting for the bad guy. Yeah. Rooting for Walter to make it. I mean, so... Yeah. Catch me if you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. There's another one. But uh, yeah. you know, they, I guess these, it's easier because these are not murderers. Yeah, it's not like that they're murderers. That's true. Right? These guys are bank they're, robbers. They're bank robbers. And they robbed yeah. a bank, and and one of the guys, one of the family members, says this on the documentary that I watched this morning. Uh, he said, "Look, these guys weren't murderers." He said mm-hmm. the same thing, Katie. He yeah. said they robbed a bank with a toy gun. They didn't even yeah, use a real gosh. gun when they robbed that bank in Columbia, Alabama. Yeah, so they're just kind of they're just thieves, and I would yeah. I'm I'm thinking they. Headed south, and they just kept thieving until probably somebody killed them. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Eventually, yeah, you keep thieving from people. Mm-hmm. You steal from the wrong well, person. I mean, they probably only got ten years for the for the bank robbery. I don't know what their original term was, but the reason they end up at Alcatraz was because they tried to escape from the previous prisons. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. you never you break the rules of society. You go to prison. You break the rules of prison. You go to Alcatraz. We Ooh, said that last yeah. week, and that was how you ended up there. So yeah. So. Anyway, all right. I'm through talking. That's all I got. Well, Scott, that was great. Thank you so much. We learned something new about Alcatraz that people lived there. People live there. Uh, yeah. Children live it was there. Nuts. Yeah. What the heck? I don't know. It well, would be fun to ride the ferry all the time like that, except obviously it's cold. That's the bad part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is definitely the bad part. I so, wish that girl had those <clears throat> shoes that Al Capone signed. Still. I know. Wouldn't that be neat to have that somewhere uh, in a safe deposit box? I know. Be great. But yeah. That was that was great. Thank you so much, Scott. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Mm-hmm. Go to our website. Yep. 
Say something nice about us. Give us a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave your name so that we can give you a shout-out on this show. Because every time we get a five-star rating, it moves us up and more people can see us. And we get famous. And you are the people who helped us do that. (laughs) Yay. Good night, everybody.